Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, a podcast where testicular cancer survivors, caregivers, and others who have navigated the cancer journey share their stories. The podcast comes to you from the Max Mallory Foundation, a nonprofit family foundation focused on educating about testicular cancer in honor and in memory of Max Mallory, who died in 2016 at the young age of 22 from testicular cancer. Had he survived, Max wanted to help young adults with cancer. This podcast helps meet that goal. Here now is your host, Joyce Lofstrom, Max's mom and a young adult cancer survivor. Joyce, and with me today is Brian Stacy. He's a testicular cancer survivor who was diagnosed in 2011 with testicular cancer and a sexually transmitted infection at the same time. That diagnosis led him to a new path from consulting with Accenture and working with the FBI to becoming an entrepreneur. Brian is co-founder and CEO of Behaler, Coronavirus Testing and Tracking Protocol for Groups. And being an award-winning company whose mission was to redefine perceptions of sexual health, confidence, and wellness through digital solutions. So he has a lot to tell us about his, um, his success as an entrepreneur, and he will also share his testicular cancer journey and how he works with men across the country to help them become the great man within. So Brian, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, so so happy to be here. I feel like in the... In the 10 plus years since my diagnosis, I've had a, l- a lot of different hats that I've worn. So I'm excited to, to dive into to what's relevant here today. Yeah, I think we all want to hear about some of those hats. But why don't we just start with your testicular cancer story? Tell us what happened and when and anything you want to share. Sure. So I was, I'm from Chicago originally. And I had spent some time out in D.C. I was living in D.C. working as a consultant with the FBI. And really living a, a pretty like fun life, and uh, you know working in corporate America, doing stuff at the FBI. With my workout, my workout game was on point, and um, and just kind of living a, a normal single single guy life uh, in his in his early thirties. And I started to notice just a little bit of like dull pain, and it, it wasn't all the time. It was it was just every once in a while. I noticed it especially when I was doing the row machine uh, at the at the gym, and I told myself what I think probably a lot of guys tell themselves. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have <laughs> testicular pain of some sort that don't have testicular cancer, and I certainly had had that uh, prior. And I just thought it wasn't a big deal; I, it would go away. Um, the difference with this one is that it, it came back, and it came back with. A more regular uh, occurrence, uh, whether I was driving or working out or just kind of sitting there typing, typing away at the office. And I continued to deny that something was going on. I, I started to have an inkling that, hey, this is something that's that's not normal, like what I've had before. But I had all kinds of de- denial around it. So I had gone home to Chicago. I spent some time with my family over Thanksgiving. So I was there Thursday, Friday uh, through the weekend. And when I arrived back in D.C. on uh, Tuesday morning, I had a conversation with a friend of mine completely unrelated to testicular cancer, uh, but he happened to be a urologist. Okay. And when I told him, he was the first person I told and I opened up to and I said, hey, this thing's been going on. He said, how long has it been going on for? I said, ah, about three months, but I think it's going to go away. And he said, why didn't you contact me sooner? And we're getting you to see a doctor today. And even that, even that, a friend who is a doctor, especially a urologist, telling me I need to go see a doctor right away, even then, I said, nah, you know, I just put my suit on. I'm getting ready to go into work. I don't think I, I don't need to go in. I think this is, this is probably fine. Or I gave him the, I'll do it later. And he insisted that I go that day. So he set me up with uh, one of his, his buddies that worked in the area. I was diagnosed that Tuesday. I had surgery on Thursday, so that, oh was, that was quite a quite quite a shock to the system. Oh wow, two days! But it's good you had that friend. So right, did you just have surgery, chemo? Just anything you can share about your treatment? 
Well, I think the I think the first shock is when I went in and he said, "Hey, we think we based on what it feels like down there, it feels very much like testicular cancer. We're going to do a little bit of blood work, but we're also going to prep you or get you into surgery or plan for surgery." He said, "There's a, there's a few things that you need to do uh, prior to going to surgery." I said, "Number one is we want you to go to a sperm bank." And I thought that was really interesting. I said, well, why, why would I have to go to that? And he told me that, yes, most guys have two testicles and they both produce sperm, but they, you don't always know if both are working. He said, so we want you to make a deposit for, for the, the reason is after you have surgery, we might take out the one nut that's actually working and you'll become sterile after that. He's like, hopefully that's not the case, but it's a bit of an insurance policy. So I said, okay, that sounds good. Uh, I said, and, and when is surgery? He said, surgery is Thursday. And I said, well, tell me about the surgery. Is it, you know, you just kind of go in through the sack and, and pull my nut out. Like you just take a piece of it out. Like, how do you, how do, you yeah. do this thing? Yeah. And I was shocked when he said, actually, we go in from the top. We're going to cut you like almost like you had a hernia surgery. Uh, we take, a, we take the, the entire testicle and everything connected to the testicle out. Because if the cancer has spread, then then hopefully we'll we'll catch all of that too. And so that was like wow. Now I'm having major major surgery. I'm losing I'm losing a nut that I've had my entire life. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I'm a bit in shock that this is all happening in two days. So I called my parents, who I had just seen that morning because uh, they dropped me off at the airport. And I said, Hey, I know this may come as a shock to your system, but. Uh, I just went to the doctor. They diagnosed me with testicular cancer. I'm having surgery in two days. So my mom, my mom came in to kind of help me help me get to the hospital and, and stick around during recovery, which was which was super sweet of her. But what made that awkward was when I went to the sperm bank because the morning of surgery, my mom was driving me to the hospital, but we were stopping by the sperm bank first. So we get to the sperm bank, and she's she's a you know caring mom, and she's like, "Do you, do you want me to come in with you?" I said, no, mom, that's, that's fine. I think you should stay in the car and let me, let me right. go do my thing. <laughs> so I went in. That was a, a very not sexy experience. And then I got back out to the car. My mom was waiting for me. And she asked me, how, how, how'd it go? <laughs> I said, <laughs> if, we could just, if we could just not discuss this, let's, let's just go to surgery and have my nut removed. So, um, so yeah, so I had, had surgery on that Thursday. Um, I was diagnosed with stage one B at that time. I didn't have the, um, the biopsy done quite yet, but I knew, I knew it was stage one B and, uh, then, then the, that, that was all actually the easy part. It was all the decisions after that, that had to be made in terms of what's next. So I think about three, four days after that, the biopsy came back. I had a pretty aggressive form uh, of, of testicular cancer. And that's something people don't understand. There's, there's a lot of different types of testicular cancer. I had, uh, I had a, a mixed type, which is, which is pretty normal, but one was a, a, a blood cancer uh, type. And so they wanted to make sure, they, they, they gave me all kinds of stats and said, hey, look, you could do nothing from this point. Um, you could do chemo, you could do surgery, additional surgery to take out your lymph nodes. Um, but if you do nothing, you've got about a 50, 50 chance of it coming back. And so yeah. it was a real discussion with my parents, with my urologist friend, with my doctors about what's, what's the next best move. I, I looked at it like, Hey, I'm feeling pretty healthy. I, I kind of want to roll the dice here. And if it comes back, then we'll have to deal with it. But I was, I was thoroughly convinced by the doctors, my friend and my family, like, you know, 50% is too high to play with. So I ended up having uh, two rounds of uh, BEP, right? Chemotherapy, um, and and that that was pretty new. Usually, people had gone through four four um, four rounds of BEP, um, but I've been uh, I've been cancer free for the last the last ten years. So um, that that kind of one percent chance that they gave me uh, luckily hasn't hit, and uh, I'm feeling feeling really really healthy today. That's great. You had such a wonderful team with you, Brian. I mean, I think that makes a huge difference. And you also touched on the sperm bank. And, you know, Max had the same thing, like, go over there today and, and do this. And uh, I think that's hard. I mean, I'm not a guy, but I think just having to do that and knowing why you're doing it, and it's so soon. Max had a hard time. It wasn't successful for him. And can you speak to that, you know, Oh my you gosh! Had to do I, it I, right away. Thank you for bringing that up because yes, it is not. 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself alone here, but at a pretty young age, I figured out what masturbation was. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of young, a lot of young guys figured that out. And so I had plenty of practice going into the sperm bank. I was feeling very confident that this was going to, this was going to be a huge success. No puns intended. And when they put me into this, this telephone booth sized room, they gave me a puppy pad and a remote control to some, some, I would say fairly gross pornography. It wasn't, wasn't my style pornography. Right, right. With my mom waiting in the car and said, go ahead and do it in this cup. It's not really a, a conducive environment for, for great results. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I, I did it. The amount of semen that, that went into the cup, I can't say I was proud of. And so <laughs> you, you put a cap on this plastic cup. I, I, wore a, I wore a sweatshirt with a hoodie. I put my hood fully up. I put it in the plastic container they had, and then I rang the bell, and then I walked out of there as fast as I possibly could. Right. <laughs> and it was, it was a uh, – luckily, the doctor actually called me, and he, and he told me, and this is, this is after the surgery now, that the sample was okay, but it wasn't great. And I kind of gave him like, well, no wonder, man. Like this was yeah. this was yeah. an awful experience. <laughs> so uh, I ended up going back to the sperm bank and making a, a second deposit that I was a little more ready in post surgery and everything else that was a little bit healthier. Well, you know, I appreciate you talking about it because I think it's important for men faced with, with this to understand, you know, what's going to happen and be prepared. Sounds naive, but just to know at least what's you know, what's ahead if you have to do that at the sperm bank. So what do you think was the biggest challenge you had with your diagnosis? I think I, just really quick on the, on the sperm bank, while the experience wasn't good, I, I was really happy that the doctors suggested that I do it because yes. to this day, I still have that. I pay whatever it is, $50 a month to keep my sperm frozen, but it has felt like a really good insurance policy ever since. And what, what you don't know, there are several hurdles that a guy will go through to know if he's sterile or not. So the first one is just the sperm bank itself and not knowing, you know, what's your motility like? What's your, what's your volume like? What, how many sperm do you actually have? How many are good? So that's the first one. The second one is you do the surgery. And after the surgery, you don't know if you're still producing sperm or not. And then right. if you go through chemo, if that's if that's the next round that you go through, that can be that can be a huge hurdle too because that could, that could fry fry your your one good nut if you will. And for guys that that elect the surgery, uh, the RPL and D, which is they basically put a zipper in front of your body, they pull out your lymph nodes. There's actually sperm risk to that too. They call it. Um, I can't remember the exact word, but basically it's where it messes with the direction of your sperm. And as weird as this sounds, instead of the sperm going out where it can be useful, it actually just shoots into the bladder. And that okay. can happen during during the orchiectomy, which is where they take out the testicle, or it can happen you know, in, in the RPLND surgery. So there are several. And, and also, if you do chemo, you don't know if the sperm is going to come back for about a year. So there is, there's a pretty good amount of waiting time uh, when you go through a, a procedure like this to figure out, like, are you sterile or are you not sterile? Wow. That's a lot of very good detailed information. And I didn't realize it took a year for it to come back. So yeah. I, I like what you said, too, about just having your sperm frozen as an insurance policy. I, that's important. So. So, yeah, it definitely it definitely made me feel like I had I had options. And, right, right. And, you know, I, I mentioned these these different hurdles. I I had a very good friend of mine who also, you know, he I had I, we'll talk about this in a bit, but but I had several people reach out to me after I went through this with pain in their nuts. In all those cases, I said, hey, look, it doesn't sound like you have what I had, but go see a doctor. That's the best thing you could possibly do right now. Have that. I am not a medical professional. Go get that good advice. One of my best friends reached out to me, and he described a very similar uh, situation to what I had. It turns out that that he did have testicular cancer. And when he went into the sperm bank right before surgery, just like I did, found out that that he was he was shooting blanks the, the entire time. Oh wow! And and so that's you know the, 
if you think about the different levels of trauma associated with going through a procedure like this, you know, there's, there's not only the, the sexual and physical side of things, but there's also like the identity and the emotional side of things. So he was newly married and that was something that he had to talk about with his wife as, as going through cancer as well. So the, the, the sperm thing is something that, that isn't thought about too much. Now, what I thought a lot about was sexual performance. And okay. I had a lot of questions with the, the uh, from the doctor uh, or for the doctor about sexual performance. And at that time, I was single and I was I was enjoying singlehood. And a lot of my identity was really wrapped around my sexuality and and um, and sex. And the thought that went through my mind is like, wow, like if I can't if I can't perform, and that was the word I use, and I use that right now on purpose. But if I can't perform. Well, what does that mean? Like, who, who, who right. am I? And so this, this diagnosis really sent me into uh, an existential spiral after I got through the initial, you know, physical trauma and, and, and surgery. That's very true. I, you know, I think that's a good point that many men may not even want to talk about. So I, I, I'm glad that you said that as well about your experience. What did you learn about yourself during this process? Maybe something you didn't know. Before. Oh my gosh! I think going going through it was was simply that it was just it was just get through it. But I learned. I think I think there was there was a few big lessons. I had been living a a life of everything's good, everything's all like ha- having fun, no problems, and the last thing I would ever want to do to any other human is show like a level of weakness. Now I, I played sports growing up, and and that was that drumbeat was in my head, and this was really the first time in my life where I didn't really have a choice. I was going to be leaving work for about three months uh, to go through chemo. People were going to be wondering where where I went, and a friend of mine did a really beautiful thing for me uh, right before I went into to to start the chemotherapy. Um, she bought me, and this is this is prior. This is a little bit prior to um, Facebook, and and definitely prior to Instagram. And so she bought me a URL because I had made a joke about having one big nut. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she said, if you want, she's like, you can. I attached it to Tumblr, and you can just write about your experience. Wow. And so this is the first time in my life that I uh, that I a wrote publicly, but b talked about this this very vulnerable situation that I was in. And, and a lot of people may describe that as weakness. And I think the biggest lesson that came throughout all of this is that some things that we call weakness, some things that we're maybe even not proud of, are the things that really connect us. Because what happened after I, I started writing is I had all these people reach out to me and ask me questions. And I'd never felt that level of connection, certainly with guys before. I realized okay. I didn't have, I had guy friends, but we didn't have, I would say, super deep relationships. And for those existing friends and for people I hadn't met before, all of a sudden, like we had something to like really connect on and they came to me with like, genuine questions. And so I saw my entire relationships shift as I went through testicular cancer and openly talked about it. So there's a lot more that came, came out of this experience, but that was a huge one and something that, that serves me to this day. You know, Brian, I think what you said about your friend buying the URL, I mean, I, that is such a unique gift, but <clears throat> excuse me, a relevant gift. And yeah, it was 2011, so a different time frame in terms of the web, but I love that idea. I think that's just such a creative, but useful gift. Um, and you it was, used it. It was, so. really, it was really cathartic for me, too. Um I'm not suggesting that anyone, if you know, you have somebody in your life that's going through testicular cancer, that it's the perfect gift. Um, but it was great for me at that time because yes. what it did is, as I went through chemo, and maybe we'll talk about this in more detail. But it's it's eight hours of day sitting there with a needle in your arm, not feeling great, and this is a now I will give a, a non gift recommendation. Okay, <laughs> I got I got a lot of books and movies, which makes a lot of sense because you're sitting around a long period of time. But I had so much brain fog that I had a really hard time concentrating on anything like a book or even a movie, even a TV show. Right. And so what that that website and the blog did for me is it gave me something to reflect uh, and produce and, cre- and put me into that creative state even while I was going through it. And I could share my story in real time. 
And for me, that was hugely cathartic. I could just, I could, I can go, I, I still, every once in a while, I still go back to that site and I look at how, I, and I can think about how I felt at the time, what I was going through, some of the concerns I had. And so that's a gift that, that she gave me that, that changed not just my life, but I, I, I still have people reaching out uh, to me that, that go, go to that site to understand what is, what is the overall experience like. So that was a really beautiful thing for me. Now, if I said that books and movies weren't a good <laughs> gift. Yeah. A good gift that I did get was a video game. And I forget no. what game system I had at the time, but somebody gave me some some video game and that that captured enough of my attention and had to be action orientated enough unlike a book or a movie that I end up I end up spending a lot of time playing a video game. So that was that was super helpful too as I went through the process. You know, I know Max through his um, seven months, he started to come up with a video game idea that he could create. His his major was, you know, media arts and game development, and he never finished it. But that was one way I know he spent time was thinking about how he could create a video game about testicular cancer. So, um, yeah, I I love that, and it's and it's not surprising to hear because when we get into that that creative energy. It, it, it gives us um, some self-efficacy that we have some sort of you know say about what's going on with us when our bodies aren't really agreeing with with right. with life as as we know it at the time so I think like one of the one of the best things that I, I was encouraged to do through my friend was was to create and it sounds like max found that that similar thread so I think that's a that's a that's a good find yeah you kind of touched on this you mentioned you grew up being you know playing as sports, being an athlete. And, you know, we talked about, I guess, our Midwestern background. I'm from Kansas City, went to Mizzou. You're from Chicago, went to Iowa, played baseball. Anything you can talk about from the perspective of an athlete with your testicular cancer diagnosis? Yeah, there, there were two identities that I held. Now, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if these were my identities, I would have said you're crazy. Um, so this is this is after doing some reflection on <laughs> where okay, I was at yeah. in life. But there were really two identities that came out of that time period of my life. Um, the first one you just mentioned, this, this athlete kind of identity. The, the second identity I had was I grew up Christian. And that was that was my the, the religion. My grandfather was a pastor. And went to went to church every week. Went to a grade a grade school that was that was a Lutheran grade school, and so I, I would say that I had these these two really strong identities, both of which in this case were not helpful. Okay, <laughs> I think when it came to we'll, we'll talk about athletics first. There there is a invincibility that comes with the the feeling of playing sports at at a high level. And that because I take care of my body, these sort of things like wouldn't like cancer, like the age of 30, come on, like, no, like that, that's not even something that would have crossed my mind. And there's, there is a kind of grin and bear it or get through it sort of mentality. And I didn't know, but at the time I was doing a lot of that in my life. And when it came to like the feeling of the, the, my, my nut hurting or the idea of going to a doctor that felt weak. And okay. I know after talking to thousands of guys in the last 10 years about the situations they've been through, I know that's a pervasive and I would even say toxic masculinity, a trait that we can do it on our own in our group. We actually call it lone wolfing. And I think that for all the beautiful things that athletics can bring, right? All, of the, all the good things I did take out of athletics, that one's not one of them. And so this idea that, that, you know, we're invincible, that we don't need a doctor, we don't need help from some, from other people. That's something that, that I, I had to bust up. Um, and so that, that, that certainly came from my, my upbringing in, in athletics when it comes to Christianity. So this is a whole other element. And, and, um, and the reason that in my belief is, is in part like why, why testicular cancer was brought to me, why this was part of my life and at least how I make meaning of it is there, I had all kinds of shame wrapped around sex, right? The going thought, the going teaching when it came to Christianity is, is no sex before marriage. Right. Yeah. And so any kind of, you know, sexual pleasure or sex or intercourse itself like would feel shameful in some way. So the idea of going to a doctor, admitting that, yes, I've been sexually active and maybe maybe it came from there, I had no idea. That was a no-go too because this was just a, a thing that we didn't talk about. 
And by thinking we didn't talk about, I didn't talk about my parents, I didn't talk about my friends, I didn't talk about it with anybody uh, with any kind of regularity. I would do it. And most of the time I would be drunk when I'm doing it. So I could kind of get out outside of my head. Right. Um, and that's something we, we can talk about here in a, in a bit. But I think these, these two identities, these two forces, like really put me in a spot where I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to talk about this with anybody. And that, that could have been really detrimental if I didn't have a friend that really pushed me, pushed me through those two barriers. You know, you're absolutely right on both of those topics. It could be a whole other podcast to get into the shamefulness and guilt connected with religion. I grew up Catholic and understand exactly what you're talking about. So I'll just say I'm really glad you had someone that could help you at least get to the doctor. And that sounds like, as you said, we'll talk about some other discoveries and things that you, you've been able to help yourself and others with. So... Thanks for going into that. I appreciate that, Brian. So, yeah, absolutely. So now let's kind of transition to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. You have your company, uh, Vahela, I'm going to pronounce it correctly. Uh, you found it in 2019. And you also had, before that, introduced another company called Bean. And they deal with health in different ways. So I'm going to just step back and ask you to talk about these two companies and your history as an entrepreneur anything that you want to share with us because you have such interesting companies but successful companies and I just I want to hear about them sure so I, I'll, I'll take us back to after chemo I, I went to Chicago and stayed at my parents house as I was going through chemotherapy and man that was that that brought me closer to my parents and I have so much appreciation for for that time period of my life because at the age of then 31, when else are you going to spend three months with your parents right, right. <laughs> and have them take care of you? So that was such a, a, a blessing in disguise there, being able to spend time with them. But after chemo, now I've got a nice bald head and it's time to go back to work. Physically, I'm feeling at probably 40% of what I was feeling prior to chemo. I was still in pretty rough shape, had gained a ton of weight through the, through the process. But I arrived back in DC and I'm feeling a little bit lost when I get back to DC not totally sure why, but at that moment, uh, my boss said, "Hey, I am I'm going to happy hour today. Do you want to go with?" I said, "Yeah, it'd be great." And so the story I told myself when he asked me that is like, you know, like maybe this is my path. This whole this whole consulting thing. And so the people that were that were at um, that were at that happy hour was my boss, his boss, and. His boss. There's like three three levels of, of guys okay, above yeah. me at Accenture. So Accenture's a huge company. I think we got four hundred thousand employees there now. And this was like the number three guy, right? It was a, was a top dog there. And so we get to the bar. We're at happy hour, and the top guy asks kind of kind of a question, a question I'd never been asked before. Certainly at a work happy hour, but he asked if we had spirit animals. And I thought it was a really if you strange had done question. What spirit animals? Yeah, he asked if we had ever thought about a spirit animal for ourselves. Oh, spirit. Okay, gotcha. And okay. The idea yeah. of like some some animal that, that that you know there's spirit aligns to like who who we are. And I was like, wow, like what is what a strange question that I wasn't ready for. And so he went first. He he described his spirit animal, and his spirit animal was a bald eagle. And he's like, you know, we're here in Washington, D.C. This is where I work. And I feel like I have great vision. And I, I like the vantage point of the sky. So, like, my spirit animal is a, is a bald eagle. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good spirit animal. <laughs> so, yeah. then the next guy goes, right? The second guy in the, in the totem pole, if you will. Um, and he says, yeah. He's like, I would, I would definitely be a lion. He's like, you know, king of the jungle, no, no real predators. He's like, but more importantly, I, I have my team here that I work with. And I, I consider that my pride. And he's like, so, you know, the, the king of the jungle makes sense. So it's getting closer to me now. My boss is up next, but I'm like, man, like, okay, so king, king of the jungle is a pretty good one too. So then my boss goes and I'm I, at this point, I'm trying to listen. But I'm also like, I've never thought about a freaking spirit animal. Like, what in the world am I going to, like, what am I going to say? And so then my boss goes and he's like, I would be a shark. He's like, because sharks, they like never stop moving. They're super healthy. They never have cancer, which apparently is a shark thing. And I thought very rude at the moment, especially with the guy that just went through cancer. Yes. But he said, 
<laughs> he said shark and he said the same thing like apex predator like and so now it's get, it, it gets to me and i'm like oh my gosh we have like basically the king of the sky the king of the jungle the king of the ocean like already taken like what am i gonna say and i, I to this day i can't say like why this came to me but what i blurted out was jellyfish and Ooh. i was horrified when i said jellyfish because <laughs> i didn't know why i said it my boss tried to help me recover, like had my back, and he's like, "Oh, like that man of war jellyfish that you know kills surfers and they're huge." And I was like, "No, man! Like, have you ever seen those little tiny jellyfish that have a little iridescent circle in them that they don't even sing people? Like, I'm not even sure how they survive." <laughs> he's like, "Oh!" And so these other two guys are looking at me like I'm a little bit crazy, and I'm so embarrassed. I'm starting to come to now, and I'm so embarrassed. I'm just like, guys, I, I took one more sip of my beer. I put it down on the table and said, I've got a ton of work to do today. I really appreciate the invite, but I got to get out of here. Because I just didn't want to face me, them being there after telling them I was a jellyfish. Okay. And so on my walk home, I had about a 10-minute walk home. And I was like, why the F did you say jellyfish? Like, what is wrong? I was really beating myself up. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you say jellyfish? And as I, as I continued on my walk, and I was like, you know what? It's because it's true. Like, I, I feel like a jellyfish right now. I feel like I'm not in control. I'm just out drifting in the ocean, saying just yes to things that come by, as opposed to having any real direction in my life. And so I tell that story because that was the first time in my life I started to ask some bigger questions. You know, I asked myself, like, if I had $10 billion, like, what would I do with it? I didn't really have a great answer. You know, the classic things came to my mind, like, ah, I'd buy an island, I'd do this. But like, I realized that I didn't really, I was just, I was just in the rat race. I was in the, you know, I was, I was an, on the hamster wheel, if you will, trying to move up the corporate ladder and didn't really know what I wanted in life. And so that, that moment really kicked off for me uh, an entire journey. And I don't know, um, that if I would have got there without going through the testicular cancer experience, because after going through that, I, I wanted something more. Like right. I, I saw like what could be, you know, I mean, testicular cancer is fairly curable, but obviously, you know, Max and I know a multitude of other guys, like didn't make it through that. And so we start to look at like what life is and what we do between the lines of birth and death. And like, why are we actually here? And so, you know, the, 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 the things I learned and how it changed me is it really changed my perception of like what we're doing here, what our opportunities are, what does it mean to, to like really live versus just kind of, you know, be in existence. So that, that was really the, the big kickoff point for me. Um, from there, I, I started to try and answer some of those questions. And at that point in my time, uh, I was working on a side project for Accenture for a, a digital app for law enforcement. And I decided this was the, this was the next thing I wanted to do. Uh, I saw this wave coming of, of digital products coming to market. And so I ended up leaving um, Accenture Federal Services. I moved to New York City from DC and I, and I became part of Accenture Digital, which was just kicking off. Um, so that, that really started me down the path of, uh, of understanding, like, what is it like to create a digital product and, and really, um, where some of the ideas came for, from, from my next businesses. Part three, now an entrepreneur. That's a great story. And, you know, timing is everything. Just the fact that you went to that happy hour and that question came out from your, from the head guy and kind of made you think. I mean, I think it gives us all pause in a way because I think it's, uh, I was just thinking back. I was, when I had cancer, I was 25 for the first time and I was in Chicago too. And I remember I was a food editor and a restaurant critic for the Daily Herald. Of, suburban paper and um i was gonna quit it's like oh i just i can't do this anymore and and this nurse said you know just just wait you know give yourself some time and i eventually wound up going home to kansas city but i i just it, it's very interesting i just um I, I like that kind of introspective approach on it so 
you also host a podcast, so um, and I love um, the name of that podcast, uh, The Great Man Within. Can you talk about your podcast? Yeah, abs- absolutely. So the podcast, as you mentioned, is called The Great Man Within, and one of our we have, we have several leaders, authors that that we like to pull from. Um, one guy you may have heard his name, uh, Napoleon Hill. Okay. And yep. Napoleon Hill is really famous for a singular book called Rich and Think and Grow Rich was what he's most famous for. But he wrote another book that's a little bit less known, and it's called Outwitting the Devil. And mm. in Outwitting the Devil, he he gives the, his definition of hell. And his definition of hell is the day that we're on our deathbed and we look back at our lives and we and we 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 know that we left chips in the table. All the what ifs, all the like, man, if I would have done that, if I would have done this. And we look at that and say, like, that that could be a life of, of, you know, existence, if you will. But while we're here on Earth, like, while we're between those lines of birth and death, like, what do we really want? And so in our podcast, we start to explore uh, what are those things that, that we want and what are the structures to put in place to, to get there. And we've got not just the podcast, but we've got a few different masterminds that meet up in person. We've got a digital mastermind and a Facebook group. And it's all guys asking these bigger questions and seeing how that impacts all of them at the relationship level, at the professional level, at the performance level has been has been a, a, a true gift and really just an extension of, of what I was doing before related to testicular cancer. Because as I said, like, I, I, hadn't, I didn't have deep relationships with men. Uh, prior to me going through testicular cancer. And when I started talking to guys about my experiences and about their experiences, I started to see a lot of similarities, a lot of similar fears. And this work that we do now is is really no different than that. And so it's it's figuring out how to break through those those some some most of the time self-imposed barriers to to doing what we want and being okay with that. You've hit on so many important topics and I think that's a question I ask myself all the time. You know, what do I really want? You know, what what do I do now in my career? And after roughly forty five years in public relations, and I think it's a question we ask throughout our lives. You know, and I think what you do though to bring men together to, to really talk about it and be able to ask and perhaps answer that question—it's so important to being happy in life. So yeah. I mean, it is, you know, and a lot of people never ask the questions. Well, I was just going to call out one of your quotes on your the Hilo website, which is, people do their best work when they feel safe. Talk about that with me. I think in order to talk about Vahila, let me let me go back to my, my first company, which was which was Beam Health. And what what happened is when I moved to New York and I started working in, in the digital technologies and figuring out how to build websites and apps and, and, and whatnot. I linked back up with my friend who's that urologist. And I said, you know, something I've noticed with guys, like what a hard time they have talking about their sexual health and sexual experiences. And I only noticed that because I went through testicular cancer and I, I had a guy, I, it was a special agent at the FBI. I was, I was only a month back in DC after I went through chemotherapy and we're in a meeting and he pulls me outside the meeting. He's like, Hey Brian, I got to ask you a question. And he's like, you know, my right nut's been hurting me. And I was, I was wondering if you could take a look at it. <laughs> and I said, listen, I, I, <laughs> I'm not a doctor and I'm definitely not going to look at your nuts in the hallway of, of the FBI building. But I do think you should go see a doctor. Now, the reality is that you're 55 years old. Your chances are pretty low that it's testicular cancer. It's more of a young man's cancer. Um, no offense, you know, I'm not saying you're old, but I'm saying you're not, you're, you're old enough to not have testicular cancer, uh, but go get, go get it checked out. And so I thought it was so interesting that here's this special agent that is at almost a retirement age for a special agent that is pulling me a consultant that he doesn't really know in the side at his work to look at his nuts. And I'm like, man, if this guy doesn't have somebody to talk to about this kind of stuff, like I'm the safest person to talk to, like we got some real problems. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. so f- fast forwarding back to New York here and I, I hooked up with my urologist friend and we said, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. Like I, I waited three months between the time of feeling symptoms to the time of um, actually getting checked out. That could have been a really detrimental three months. And I know there's other guys out there and you've probably talked to a lot of them, Joyce, that waited a lot longer than yes. that. Yes, yep, right. 
And well, what is that? Like, why are we so afraid to talk about it? And as I started exploring that, um, we decided that, especially for guys that have such a hard time, um, most women go s- take care of their sexual health when they start their period. Right? They have to right. have those conversations with a gynecologist. Most guys don't talk to a doctor about their sexual health until they're forty, about forty-five, and they have to do their first prostate or, or their first uh, colonoscopy. And so they say, man, like, like we want to change that. So what we created is a company that focused on sexual health uh, using telemedicine and diagnostics. We focused a lot on STDs and, and gave people a place to talk to doctors, to feel comfortable, to, to get tested, get diagnosed, and then share their results easily with partners if they wanted to. Now, this is before the days of like really good EMRs and where, where test results were more readily available. Um, and what we started to notice is that people just like prior to having sex, prior to going see that, like, they didn't talk about these sort of things. Right. And so that was, that was the first company that, that we started. Um, and what we learned is that, yes, like when we reduce friction to care, more people are going to get checked out. Interestingly, most of our clients for that company were not heterosexual men, <laughs> They were either uh, men who have sex with men, and the reason they were our clients is they wanted to get PrEP, which is a, a pill for uh, a, pre- a preventative pill for HIV. Right, right. Uh, and they have to get tested every three months in order to take that. And women who were kind of in between gynecologists or didn't want to go see somebody in person. And so that was the majority of our clients. So we, we learned a few things from that. Now, we also learned like what a good business model is and what a bad business model is because that business, we ended up closing down about three years after we started it. We didn't, didn't really find the right business model for it. We took those learnings and when COVID hit, we created Vahila, which is the, the company that you were asking about. What we saw happening was... This, this, the pandemic was happening, and but people still had to work. And similar to some of the research we did in the sexual health space, like people were really afraid to be in groups. But we needed some people to work in groups, whether it was factories or, or airlines or what, what have you. And so what we realized is that when people feel safe, right, they are at their best. This is socially. This is in relationship. This is at work. And so what we attempted to do was, was more than just let's test people, but let's let other people know that other people around them have been tested, have been vaccinated, have been taken a health survey, have done all the things, the protocols that a company has laid out for their employees. And so that's what we've been doing for the last two and a half years now um, is helping companies create these custom protocols that works for their situation and their employees and helping them uh, execute and communicate that. So that, that's where, that's where that camp company came from on the heels of the, of the sexual health company. And your timing, I mean, it, people do need that. And you know, the whole question of going back in person to work or not. And now with the new variant that's come out, here we are in what July of 2022 and there's another variant. So, I think that would give people so much, I guess, peace of mind, I would say. I have friends who, my son, I mean, he goes to work every day in person. Uh, he works in healthcare and you know, something like that. I, I think it's ideal because there is a great fear about what's next with this virus. So. Yeah, it, it has been certainly a, a health and, and social experiment <laughs> of the greatest, of the greatest order. And, um, I wish I had some sort of barometer to say, like, what's what's next for this thing? Um, I think I think we're we're doing a better job of learning how to live with it. Yes. Um, and and hopefully it doesn't get more or you know, have, a, have a worse variant, if you will. I know. Um, but, but yeah, it's 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 certainly an interesting time to to be in digital healthcare. Advice to consider. So you kind of talked about this, but what advice do you have for other listeners, a young man who might think they have testicular cancer or anybody going through treatment? Just from your experience, what advice do you have? Oh, man, I think, I think and we, we hit on this already, it's like don't be afraid to discuss this with somebody. You know, find, find the person that you feel safe with that also has some level of expertise, you, you know, be it a doctor or a friend, whoever it may be. And, and just ask, ask the question. Um, 
when my friend asked me about his his situation and i was able to say like hey man like i think you you have you are showing similar symptoms to what i have i think go get checked out that was the push he needed i'm not a doctor i didn't know much yes i went through the experience but then he was able to go get the help that he needed and i feel good about that it's like one of those like things in life that i feel good about i think i think about every once in a while so if you think that you 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 may have something absolutely 100% go get it checked out there's no downside and if you got to if you got to um game game yourself a little bit then maybe when you talk to your urologist or your doctor for the first time maybe ask them about some of the other sexual health stuff that you've got going on you know related to performance or desires or interests or, or anything else it might be a good time to to double dip there a little bit but i think that i think that's the biggest thing is that because you're not you're not alone you're not the only one that's out there that has gone through this something i notice in myself and in a lot of guys i talk to it's almost like if you don't look in the box then, then the bad thing won't happen. And I'm here to tell you that, that that's false thinking. And, and this is true for me feeling testicular cancer. This is really true when it comes to STD testing. Like some guys just don't want to know. Right. And that's a, it's a, it's a dan- I understand that's scary, but it's a really dangerous place to play. So I think um, taking ownership over our health, ownership over where we're at can go a long way in, in providing a happy, healthy life. So what's next for you, Brian? Anything you want to share just about your businesses, about you? Just what's on the horizon for you? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about the next project that I'm working on. I've, I've now run two companies that have been in the, in the infectious disease space, right? Uh, STDs and coronavirus. And, but the work that I do with the men's groups and on the podcast and in our masterminds, I think that 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 sort of work is the the baseline level of stuff to move our lives from a place of existence to thriving. And the next company that we're we're putting together is we're looking at all of the different paths that we've seen guys go on, the challenges that they've taken on. And, and I can give you a, an example. About in, in the beginning of 2022, we had 900 guys across the world sign up for what was called a push-up challenge. The push-up challenge was in 60 days to be able to do 100 push-ups. But secretly, and what we didn't tell people is that it wasn't just a physical push-up challenge. This was really a mental health challenge. The push-up, the push-ups was just the, the Trojan horse, if you will, to get guys in to, to do it and challenge themselves. And over a 60-day period, every single day, we had one action to take. Sometimes every third day, it was push-ups. That made sense because it was a push-up challenge. We also like, read a book together called called um, Breath by James Nestor to teach us how to breathe. We, we as humans are, are tr- horrible breathers. <laughs> We're not taught really how to yeah. breathe. And so when doing push-ups or just doing life, it's a really important thing. We also had meditations or, or some sort of other mental health challenge uh, on, those, on those other days. And so putting together pro- custom programs like that for guys to go on these journeys together, um, really focused in the, the health and wellness and betterment space, that's, that's what, I, what I'm focused on next. So I'm, I'm excited to be moving on. I'm hopefully going to move on. Hopefully coronavirus goes away and I'll be moving into this health and wellness space. So I have two comments on that. One is listening to the, all of your comments, but you know, this idea of you had 900 men who came together for this challenge. It speaks to the value of group, uh, what am I trying to say, motivation or not peer mm-hmm. pressure, but just being together with like-minded or you know, other men, in your case, to, mm-hmm. to do something together. I think that's so important. And the other thing I wanted to ask you to share is how can people find you, find your podcast or the services, the things that you are doing? Great. Yeah. You know, we find, I'm so glad you brought up the, the group part of this because it's huge. We find that that guys often start in the space on their own. They're reading a book, they're listening to a podcast because it's safe, right? They're learning a little bit and it's safe and that's great. It's an amazing place to start. But what we what we talk about is that on your own, this sort of like personal development is slower, it's shallow, and it's incomplete. Great place to start, but it's slower, it's shallow, and it's incomplete. With a group, right? It's deeper, it's faster, and it's connective. And so we see guys go from, hey, I, you know, I had a thought about this book and, and then moving into a group setting 
where they're working towards maybe a similar sort of goal, or at least other guys know that they're moving towards something, we, we see their lives absolutely take off. And so that, that, that group, that, that the, the social motivation, if you will, is absolutely huge if you really want to move, move forward. So that's, that's, um, that's a huge, huge plug for, for a lot of the, the group stuff that we do. And where you can find me is I am on Instagram, uh, Bry, B-R-Y, Bry in theory. And that's, that's really the best spot to get me right now. Uh, I haven't been super active on social media as we've been doing some of the coronavirus stuff, but as we move into the health and wellness space, that we'll, we'll be picking it up big time. Okay. And my last question, a fun question, what song, when you hear it, you just have to sing along? <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, so a little, like, there's a lot of things that I'm not good at in life, but the thing I'm worst at in life is knowing lyrics to songs. Okay. And I really want to be a good singer of songs, but I just don't know the actual lyrics. So I often just make make lyrics up as they come along. Um, I was with my fiance in the car a couple of weeks ago and I was in a, a sing-along mood. And she said, great, like what song do you want to sing along to? And I said, I don't, I don't really know. Like just kind of pick one that you think I would know. And she tried five, six different songs. I didn't know the words to any of them. So she put wheels on the bus go round and round. And that one I knew. <laughs> so great. it's not what I would pick, but at least I know the lyrics. Okay. All right. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time and just sharing so much with me and for our listeners, Brian. I really hope you'll come back sometime down the road and tell us more about what you're doing. I I think your your success, but also your the reason behind everything that you do is, is to help others. And I, I just really appreciate all of that. Joyce, thanks for doing this and, and giving me an opportunity here to, to tell my story. I, I haven't been so involved in the testicular cancer community, and I know it's such an important thing. So I know I know your heart heart is here and uh, so appreciate that, that you're doing this and, and getting the word out. So th- thank you for today. You're welcome. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our program on your favorite podcast directory. You can also visit the Max Mallory Foundation at www.maxmalloryfoundation.com slash podcast to listen to previous podcast episodes or donate to the foundation. And join us again next time for another episode of Don't Give Up on testicular cancer.